Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. As we round out what has been an incomparable year in so many ways, our focus today is fixed on Australia's favourite asset class, property. Casting our minds back to March this year, as the true extent of the coronavirus, both locally and globally, began to bite on both economies and living standards, it seemed highly plausible that property prices were in for a long overdue correction. With immigration levels reduced to zero, skyrocketing unemployment in many sectors, and the potential for long lockdowns and social isolation, the prospect of higher house prices seemed ridiculous at best. But now, as, as the Australian economy begins its long march to recovery, it appears that whilst there are still some trouble spots, such as inner city apartments, on the whole, the nation's property market has managed to shrug off much of the de de deleterious effects of 2020 for many reasons that we will go through today. But will the reluctance of both mainstream political parties to let housing behave like a healthy market and fall, resetting the market, exacerbate Australia's housing affordability problem and allow the gap between the home ownership haves and have-nots to widen? Here to share his thoughts on the future of Australian property and how it may influence our portfolios, I'm joined by Nucleus Wealth's Head of Investments, Damien Classen. Hello to you, Damien. Hi, Tim. And also on the line, fresh back from Queensland, we have our Chief Economist, Leith Van Onselen. Hello to you, Leith. G'day, Tim. Great to have you back. And just a quick reminder before we get started that we're only 80-odd subscribers away from 3,000 on YouTube, and we have the goal of hitting that 3,000 mark before the new year. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, click on the notification bell to be notified of when, to go of when we go live or have a new webinar to watch or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. We also uh, ask if you'd like to take a moment to click like on the video now to help our show grow. And of course, for those listening in live now, feel free to drop in your questions in the YouTube live stream chat to have them answered along the way. So let's jump into the agenda for today. So we're going to kick off with why we were wrong on housing. Then having a look at the strong economic rebound, household sector cashed up, rolling then into easy credit. Uh, the, the, I guess one of the big ones is collapsed immigration being the only obvious headwind. Uh, and then finishing off with smaller capitals to perform best. And then, of course, rolling into, as we always do, our investment outlook and how these themes can impact the portfolios here at Nucleus Wealth. So with no further ado, we can jump into... Mid-year housing predictions were wrong, Leith. Yeah, g'day, Tim. Uh, hello, everybody. Um, look, this the, the issues I'm going to discuss today, or we're going to discuss today, are actually outlined in great detail on the uh, Macro Business website, where we have released our, our uh, end-of-year Christmas special report on the 2021 housing boom. And so basically everything here is just like the cliff notes on, on what's in that report. So I, uh, I encourage you to go and read that if you want more information. But... Um, yeah, basically, uh, six months ago or so, uh, as as regular listeners would know, we were pretty negative on housing, very bearish, um, predicting double-digit property losses, uh, driven by Sydney and Melbourne mainly. And, and this view was based on, you know, basically five different factors. Uh, first being, obviously, collapsing immigration and uh, a big rise in dwelling supply. Uh, we expected uh, rising unemployment and as well as falling household incomes to weigh on house prices and um, also, of course, the unwinding of a huge amount of mortgage repayment holidays and emergency income support, which we thought would, would uh, crunch households and uh, cause some forced sales. And at that time, we also expected uh, credit availability to tighten because banks would become more worried about unemployment and people's ability to pay mortgages. And, uh, and, we, and I expected that despite the fact that, um, you know, obviously mortgage rates were so low. And finally, the other headwind, or not really a headwind, but certainly not a tailwind, was that um, at that stage, I, did, I didn't really expect uh, mortgage rates to fall, uh, even with further cash rate falls, because um, at that point, um, I thought basically the uh, the mortgage rates hit their lower bound because banks wouldn't be able to pass on any further interest rate cuts without crunching their margins. Now, uh, as, as, as we'll discuss now, we're pretty much wrong on just about every one of those counts, and uh, and and Listeners might remember, I think, I can't remember when it was, it might have been August or around about then, we had uh, Dr. Cameron Murray, a buddy of mine, 
uh, on to basically do the bull and bear case for housing. And as it turns out, Cam, if you're listening, you were right, buddy. I was wrong. Uh, pretty much it's played out the way Cam thought it was going to work out and uh, hasn't played out the way I thought it was going to work out mid-year. But anyway, that's the, that, that, that's 2020 for you. Crazy year. Um, so pretty much I've basically turned from, uh, from a, I guess, a housing bear mid-year to now a housing bull. So uh, I've totally changed teams, done a 180 U-turn. And uh, first of all, um, I guess... I guess the first thing, you know, th- th- there's a couple couple of uh, factors we need to we need to talk about uh, regarding why I've changed view and why I think housing's going to going to bounce pretty hard next year. Uh, first of all, is obviously the Australian economy has performed way better than than I than than we expected, and I think pretty much better than anyone expected. Uh, first of all, as we know, uh, Australia's handled the COVID nineteen pandemic extremely well. Pretty much us and New Zealand have been two of the world's best managers. Um, although we've had a couple cases, new cases today in Sydney, apart from that, we've pretty much eliminated local transmission of the virus. Um, the domestic borders are all open now. The economy's opened up pretty much everywhere. Um, and because of that, it, as it's turned out, the federal government has pretty much overstimulated um, the economy with, with stimulus. Now, this isn't throwing any shade on the federal government. Obviously, when they announced these measures, nobody knew that we'd recover so strongly and that the pandemic wouldn't be as bad, and in fact, if it was up to me, we, uh, up up to up to me, and probably up to us, I assume, um, we would have actually thrown more stimulus at it. So this this isn't a slight on the on the government's response, but it just happens to be that you know the economy's uh, recovered so strongly that we probably didn't need as much stimulus. But um, I've, I've done a calculation, uh, just a back of the envelope calculation of how much stimulus was was thrown into the economy in terms of income support uh, in just the June and September quarters alone, I've calculated that as about $180 billion of support. Mm. So that comprises the initial welfare boost, which was 18 billion, job keeper payments, 71 billion, job seeker and the other coronavirus supplements, 28 billion, the business cash flow boost, 28 billion, and obviously early superannuation release. So that's allowing people to access their super early. That that also contributed another 35 billion into the economy uh, pretty much in the last two quarters, which is a huge amount of stimulus. And partly owing to that, and obviously, you know, the border reopenings, et cetera, outside Victoria, uh, we had a really strong and much stronger than expected uh, rebound in growth um, where state final demand um, uh, rebounded over 4% in the September quarter. And that was all driven by the uh, by household consumption, pretty much. And that became despite the fact that Victoria was still closed and actually um, took away from national growth. So we had effectively... 25% of the economy shut down, and yet we still had that massive bounce in, in growth and a huge rebound. So it was definitely a big bounce. And I must admit, I, I was, um, I'd already kind of bought, bought into the bullish case uh, on housing. But then when the Q3 national accounts came out when I was in Queensland uh, last week, I think it was, or a week before, and I started going through those, I was just gobsmacked about how big the, the recovery is uh, when, I, when I drilled down to the details. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the biggest area which relates to housing is the, is the fact that despite wages and salaries falling, all this stimulus has actually driven household income through the roof. Now, if anyone's watching this online, you have the slides in front of you. Um, if you go to the household section, I've got a few charts in there to show you just how big the household uh, disposable income boost was. Just, because of just, just before we jump to the next one, Leith, um, just you've got just still on that last uh, slide, we've got the five. Um, components that you've pulled out there. Um, have you done any work on the t- income tax cuts that sort of came through in the delayed budget? I'm not uh, sure if not, that can not, be roped not, into Corona, but yeah, no, not that. That's actually not included in this. I didn't even include that oh, yeah. in here. I do mention it uh, or in the report as a okay. as something that'll support the economy as the as the um, unwinding of JobKeeper and JobSeeker happens next year. Well, that'll be partially offset by the uh, tax cuts. But I've even mentioned that in here. Because uh, yeah, that, sure. that, that came pretty late in the piece, um, mm. and it's probably pretty minor compared to these things, which are basically direct, you know, cash flow. Huge, yep, yeah, sure. huge, huge. So that that's not even included. Um, I think the, the the tax cuts will be more an issue for next year, but um, you know, ir- irrespective. So basically, uh, we we had a situation where household um, disposable income, because of all the stimulus, rose by about uh, by about six and a half percent. 
um, year on year, which is a huge jump when, when, when we've had effectively, you know, hardly any household income growth for a decade. Um, and at the same time, obviously, because of all the shutdowns, household expenditure collapsed. So as a result, net savings for households has gone through the absolute roof. And uh, households effectively saved about 15% of GDP in both the June and September quarters, just from banking all the stimulus. So they got so so households have accumulated this massive war chest of savings, uh, which is effectively, I guess, pent up stimulus. So it's stimulus that's been banked and can be spent mm. now and obviously next year. So uh, that's why that's one of the reasons why we're tipping a big economic bounce next year. I'll get onto that a bit further. Um, if you if you're watching the slides live, go to the next slide, and I've actually got the household net savings. Uh, on on uh, rolling annual terms, and there was there was effectively 166 billion dollars of household income saved in the year of September, which is uh, you know a massive increase in about the 40 uh, uh, 40 billion the year before, and 70 77 percent of that, so just over two thirds, uh, sorry three quarters of that, came in just Q2 and Q3 alone, and that's all stimulus as well as households not being able to spend. So they've effectively just had all this money getting thrown at them. A big, big, uh, I guess, pay rises uh, through um, big cash flow boosts because even though their wages and salaries went down a bit, they got all this extra money from the government, from their superannuation release, all this extra disposable income. And uh, at the same time, they couldn't spend it. So they got this huge buildup of savings, a big war chest. Um, and as we know, household consumption historically has comprised more than half of Australia's growth, 55%. So... So my, my view, I guess my prediction is that all this pent up savings or saved stimulus uh, will be spent pretty much now and into 2021. And that's inevitably going to grow up, uh, drive up growth as well as leak into assets like property. And it's going to provide a pretty big tailwind for the economy and I guess the property market and, and, and other asset markets. And that should more than offset the unwinding of the stimulus that's going to come uh, in 2021, so obviously we're going to have JobKeeper unwound slowly. We're going to have job, the job the job seeker coronavirus supplement unwound. Although I believe the, the government will probably end up lifting that permanently by you know say $100 a fortnight. Um, but so while those are negatives, you got obviously this huge amount of savings that that is pent up stimulus that's still to be spent. At the same time, we're going to have wages and salaries rise anyway because the economy is recovering, and that's going to offset some of those stimulus withdrawals next year. Now, the, the other big, the I guess probably the bigger impact on the housing market uh, is that the, the the mortgage match has been lit by the federal government So and, and the Reserve Bank. So basically, as I said, as I highlighted earlier, uh, mid-year, I thought pretty much thought that mortgage rates are bottom because you know the banks, given how much cost them to borrow, um, we're unlikely to, go, be, to be able to uh, cut their mortgage rates without eating into their margins. And that was a wrong assumption because the Reserve, and, and, and I didn't realise this at the time, I didn't really see the gravity of it, but the Reserve Bank um, implemented its term funding facility in I think it was late March or April. And what that's effectively done is they're, they're replacing the bank's wholesale borrowings with extremely cheap funding from the RBA and started off at 0.25%. They could borrow from the RBA and now it's only 0.1%. Mm. And what this has effectively done is it's created mortgage rates. So it's had the biggest impact on fixed mortgages. So, so those have fallen to 2.2% uh, for three-year fixed mortgage. Um, that, that's the average rate. You can get you can actually go below 2% if you shop around. And a, even variable mortgage rates have also fallen by by you know, a meaningful amount. Um, so, uh, that, so, so that's obviously made you know, money extremely cheap, a lot cheaper than I was ever expecting and, and uh, mm. a lot cheaper than I think anyone's expecting. And at the same time, uh, obviously, we assumed that credit stands would tighten because obviously all the unemployment concerns and uh, concerns around people's income and ability to repay and all that sort of thing. But then uh, we talked about this a few podcasts ago. Um, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg announced in uh, late September that, they, that they're going to axe responsible lending rules, uh, which went, which directly contravened the first recommendation of last year's Banking Royal Commission, which was to keep those rules and obviously tighten lending standards. Instead, the federal government has has um, has announced that, that, that they're going to get rid of those lending standards. Um, Josh Frydenberg has also declared war on ASIC. Uh, he wants to restructure ASIC because he sees them as not 
uh, bent into the will of the political parties. He's he was he's angry at them for enforcing responsible lending. So although these rules haven't officially been passed by by Parliament, it's effectively red rag to a bull, and it's greenlit banks and uh, mortgage lenders to basically ease standards and lend to pretty much anybody with a pulse. Uh, so we've got this combination of incredibly cheap money and also more available money. Uh, so you know that that's a pretty much a dynamite combo. Uh, certainly one that I wasn't expecting. Um, so there you go. And, and it's worth mm. saying, Leith, um, you've spoken a lot about the positives. I guess the, the it's a lot, to me, a lot of the um, the switch as well has been that the, the negatives haven't been allowed to, to, to go on. So um, mortgages got suspended. You, know, you didn't need to pay your mortgage if you couldn't for, for three months and then six months. And now it's, and then it got extended out to a year. Um, and then there's um, bankruptcies and evictions that have sort of been through that same type of um, same type of push. Not just in Australia, this has sort of been a global um, a global event. Also, and so, job seeker extended too. They, they, yeah, they extended several times. Yeah, and so for me, um, there's still this latent problem out there, which is if you told everyone tomorrow, right, everyone who can't pay their mortgage um, has to go through the usual. Um, uh, the usual thing and, and, you know, have to sell the house or go through bankruptcy or whatever it is, then, then you might have problems, but it does seem as if, especially with the, with the vaccines coming out now that, um, you know, it's a March date at the moment, um, given there's vaccines, it seems like that'll probably just get extended as again as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. and so that, I guess what I'm saying is it's not, to me, it's not all completely, you know, there's still risks out there we need to you need to be cognizant of and if some of these factors do change then um uh then, then there's risks but at the moment um it seems as if we've basically taken a what, what would have been an ordinary downturn and potentially a bigger downturn because of debt crisis and basically thrown more debt at the problem and and tried to try to you know stop stop the downturn and so therefore um it just means you, we, we're building ourselves a bigger top pile of dry tinder but um, at the moment, that looks like it's going to be 12, 18 months before um, before it's of a concern. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look we're, we're certainly going to build up and do, do another ramp up of household debt, et cetera, et cetera, and just kick the can down the road. Um, but I guess, you know, I'm only looking 12 months ahead the next year. Uh, I guess we can do this podcast next year and you know, we might have a different conclusion. But but but, but the thing about the, the mortgage deferrals, that, that that is important. Obviously, they're extended, they're extended again. Um, but at the same time, the number of you know people with mortgage deferrals peaked at about half a million. So it was half a million borrowers who deferred their mortgage uh, at the start, and and the numbers of those have shrunk quite considerably. So they're actually, I think they're down by about two thirds already, and that and that, that data is fairly lagged. It was from a couple of months ago. So, um, so so that problem has been evaporating anyway. And I think by the time March comes around next year, and it's scheduled to, you know, all the mortgages are. Um, all the deferrals are scheduled to stop. They'll probably extend it anyway by another three months. But even if they did, the um, the risk is way less anyway because there are far less people who are who are you know um, at risk. Yeah, at risk. That's right. So actually, just on that, there's a question here from David, and thanks, David, for uh, subscribing as well. Um, is it possible that you were not wrong just early as the government and RBA stepped in to delay the inevitable, uh, and now? Your revised forecast might be wrong as the government starts to re- re- retreat. So, as in, you were right originally. Oh, <laughs> look, it's, all, it's all possible. I, I, I just don't look. Obviously, you know, there's a million things that could happen. So, New South Wales has got this little mini outbreak of five COVID cases today, pretty much, and yesterday. And who knows? That could spiral into something worse. We could get uh, any number of things could happen. But, but, but as it looks now, I just think the 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 risks are to are for a pretty strong house price bounce next year, um, and and I think the government and RBA have shown their intention to uh, to let this happen and to let it run and to do everything they can to ensure that it happens at least in the next year or so. Um, what happens after that? Who knows? I mean, it, you know, forecasting is hard enough to do it over six months, let alone mm. eighteen months, two years, etc. Uh, especially in a crazy year like we've had and. And as, and as I mentioned in the report, one of the problems we had as economists and analysts is that we were pretty much reliant on data from, you know, whether it's the, whether it's, um, the ABS or Treasury that was always lagged and, um, and it's telling you an old story. So it's very backward looking. So, for example, mm. 
the when, when when the September quarter national accounts came out, which were sorry, the June quarter national accounts came out, which were absolutely disastrous, and showed that growth had crashed seven percent and etc. That only came out in early September, and it could have been that by that stage the economy was already turning, but we were we were relying on data that had just come in, you know, already two two and a bit months old. Um, yep. So that that's been a problem we've had, and, and that doesn't usually matter so much in normal times because the economy doesn't move this quick, but in this time um there was a you know we're basically flying blind and you kind of go from what you think is going to happen and gut feel etc um and then when the data actually hit for the september quarter only came out in early december it was like oh my god you know this this is this is huge and pretty much the only the only place um that well one of the only sources that gives you reliable uh real-time data is actually gareth Ed at the cba because he he he's now started publishing his uh cba's own internal data and i actually find it in many ways better than the abs's and it's more current but even then it took me a while to believe that because i didn't because it hadn't been sort of back tested against the reality um so i was a bit skeptical at start i was like "Eh, you know is this is this this data dodgy um but yeah that that's been the main problem so you know it's probably better now to rely on those sorts of sources uh when, when, when you want to pick turning points. Mm. In, in this case, yeah, I must admit, I, I completely missed the turning point. Yeah. I think, Tim, it's worth noting, though, you know, going back to those those ideas that you go through debt cycles and you have short-term debt cycles and a long-term debt cycle. And when this, when this huge long debt cycle that's just building up more and more debt and then the short-term ones, um, you know, peak and, and debt trails off and then you have your sort of economy goes backwards and then and then up you go again i guess our our take was always that um that was what was going to happen this time was that the the coronavirus in itself was a was a, a sudden shock that wasn't really um uh on its own wouldn't wouldn't cause uh, massive problems but um over, over sort of a medium term, but the fact that we were sort of it was hitting us right at the peak of the cycle, and we had all this debt, and, and that was what was going to trigger this down, this next sort of uh, downturn, and yep. the fact that so much stimulus has been thrown at it, and so much debt, and so much extra debt, and um, and all the um, you know we're calling it suspension of capitalism effectively that you know if you can't pay your mortgage that's fine, if you uh, if you if you, you should be bankrupt that's fine, keep going, um, you know, that, all those types of things that happen. Have meant that it does look like we're going to push into the next, um, you know, the next upswing on the back of all this government stimulus, um, and and so then it's a question about as that starts to as that one starts to fade, is the, is the next downside going to be further? Absolutely, because mm. you haven't mm. had your sort of clean out this this time. Uh, yep. But it at the moment, and I don't want to sort of go too far out. Of, you know, I don't want to say that this is all guaranteed to happen, but at the moment it does look as if. Um, we're not going to get that downturn and there is going to be this extra, this next leg of, of, of debt driven stimulus sort of pushing uh, markets for, for say another six to 12 months. Um, mm. Beyond that, you have to be, you have to be quite concerned. I mean, that, that's the biggest, the biggest risk now is we're in the hands of governments and central banks. Like we're basically, yeah. mm. that's, that's, that's all that's driving it um, is the amount of stimulus and, and, and we will get a bounce back from, and uh, from, from, from people, but, Especially in Australia, people are already pretty geared up, and so there's sort of limits to how much more they can gear up. Hmm. Uh, okay. but, but it still comes back to when you're in the hands of central banks and governments, the the concern is that they make a mistake in terms of pulling out too quickly, or um, you know, what it, whatever in terms of uh, policy type errors that can um, that can send it back down the other way. So yeah, yeah fair enough. I, I, I absolutely think you know, I absolutely believe we will get a day of reckoning. It's just not yet. Um, hmm. You know, because if you look at if if you do look ahead, you look at where's the mortgage rate at the moment. Probably if you average out fixed and variable and you know, et cetera, et cetera, it's probably two point six percent would be the yep. average market rate. Oh, yeah, yeah, about that. And um, you just wonder, well, how, how much lower can it go? And when when do you finally hit that lower bound where it really can't go any longer? No. Uh, get any lower. Well, um, you can knock, negative knock, rates. Yeah, no, 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 I, no, absolutely, could have negative rates. But even then, I mean, is that going to be one point nine percent? mortgage rate 1.5 but eventually we'll get to that point and when you get to that point it's pretty much i mean I, you know Your, european rates it, are are half a percent because uh, for, mortgage rates, for mortgage rates yeah, yeah. the the, okay. the, the, ECB, <laughs> the yeah there's there's lots more that can be done on that front the ecb is basically yeah. paying um one percent to banks and 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 mortgage holders pay half percent to banks oh uh, well so, i mean i, I, I 
I suppose my point is, uh, when we eventually get to that point, is mm. is probably when it'll end. <laughs> um, who knows? I mean, based on that, mm. um, I, honestly, you know, if, if you'd asked me twelve years ago, if we, if you know, if we'd ever have QE, I would have gone, nah, that's nah, crazy. And and now look, and sure um, you know, a year ago I would have thought, oh no, nah, it's crazy. Like 05 percent mortgage rates, it's, you know, it's impossible. Well, mm. it's not. So, um, you know, always be prepared to be be surprised, I guess. Surprised. Yeah, and just on that, so that $180 billion that you sort of roughly back of the envelope, um, what you know, what's that as a percentage of GDP that was basically doled out in three to six months? Oh, it'd be huge. Uh, uh, so, yeah. um, I think so. 12, yeah, it's, it, it's massive. It's massive. well over 10. Yeah. yeah it's huge. Yeah, well, so, it's so about two trillion ish. The economy's yeah. just over that. Um, yeah, it's huge. So, I mean, look, the, Households alone saved about, I think, 15% of GDP is household savings in the June quarter, about 13-ish percent in the September quarter. So, you know, that, that, that's a massive war chest. Hmm. Uh, I guess I focused on households. In, in the report, I actually go into all those four drivers of um, the final advance. I go into business investment, dwelling investment, public investment, and households. But yep. for the purpose of this, this housing market report, I just focus on the households because that, that's the most important for housing. Uh, but I do go into all those stuff and uh, you know, all, all that other stuff in pretty, you know, quite a lot of detail in the actual report. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just too much to talk about today, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. All right, very good. Uh, anything else for this slide or we'll jump into uh, go the, the next market? one? Yeah, yeah. So so basically, uh, th this gets the meat, meat and potatoes of it. So we've got basically, obviously, households cashed up. We've got easing uh, credit conditions and and cheap credit and uh you know expected to send property demand surging now um i've got two charts here which are you know pretty good historical sort of charts i like to use um the one on the left here is more important so what it does is it shows mortgages no sorry more the annual rate of growth in mortgages excluding refinancings versus the uh five city dwelling price growth so that's from core logic and mortgage growth typically leads house price growth as you'd expect and uh, mortgage growth obviously bounced. So that suggests even on this, which is backward looking, that prices are going to surge. It's not really rocket science. It's pretty obvious. But And, and also, obviously, um, the other one is, is I've got capital city auction clearance rates versus price growth. And auction clearance rates have also bounced, uh, which also obviously uh, points to rising prices. And, and auctions tend to lead the, price, lead the reported price growth. Uh, so, you know, basically expecting all markets to to rise next year um i mean not i mean in, in an aggregate sense so um, not certainly not you know apartments in melbourne or, or apartments in sydney but dwelling values overall i expect all the all the major markets to rise um and it might tip so that's, that's an interesting qualification too isn't it leith is, is, is talking about the the um uh it's talking about the the desire for people to to have houses rather than apartments oh, absolutely. Um, the, the poor the poor uh quality of a, of a lot of the apartments have come on and also the um the amount of uh the amount of building that's actually been done and, and still coming online in terms and of the types of immigration and yeah, not, yeah. And also obviously Students. apartments apartments tend to be rented more and they're they're way more reliant on um now overseas migration, especially international students, and that's that market's obviously dried up. So, basically, yeah. so the upshot is, sorry, go on. Invest, and then the question though comes back to to investors. Then, so for investors who, um, you know, typically are looking for an income stream, we hope we hope a lot of them are looking for an income stream. Um, the question for them then comes back to saying, well, if you're if you rents, I'm assuming you're not expecting rental growth to be very strong at all. No, 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 absolutely not. Well, well, it depends. Um, rental growth should be positive uh, in, but but not in city and Melbourne. But city and Melbourne houses might go up, but the apartments are crashing. So, um, mm. yeah, basically the apartment market in Brisbane, city and Melbourne uh, rents should be weak. Uh, everything else should be good. So, okay. um, yeah, even despite the collapse in immigration. So yeah, um, so. And and so then the question comes back to um, you know houses, uh, especially I guess in terms of regional houses, you would think would be uh, there's going to be less. Um, it's going to be going to be easier to, to to get more supply on in terms of that area, and, and it's a lot faster than than apartments. 
So does that does that gel with what you're what you're seeing? Uh, yeah. So so basically, um, on the supply side, it's interesting. So we've got the we've got the apartment market apartment supplies falling pretty hard. I mean, it's don't get me wrong, there's massive oversupply there. I've been talking about flow of apartments. Yep. But uh, but but the detached house market supply is actually ramping up pretty quick, and that's and that's on the back of um, obviously stimulus. We've got home builder, which is geared towards detached houses. We've also got the first home buyers, uh, first home buyer grants or subsidy scheme, I think it is, um, which which applies to, to to new dwellings, and and that's that's also juicing the detached house market. So the actual yeah. forecast for detached house construction to increase, and in fact overall construction increase. But mm. um, but that to be concentrated in detached houses. Yeah, and detached houses tend to be a lot better for the economy as well, don't they? In terms of it oh, being, yeah. um, they the, the spend is bigger, people. employ more people. Yeah, that's right. You're not, you're, and, 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 and they're also they're also quicker to um, to bring online, so they're a lot more responsive to moves in the market. Yes. Um, yes. Still not that yeah. responsive. You're still talking about no, a year, no, no. but um, but yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. also. Maybe a year, year to eighteen months. Six months to a year versus two to two and a half months, sometimes three years for a high rise. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, just just on those, and we just got those two, um, uh, the price growth and uh, uh, charts up still. Leith, the, the question I had was, uh, so you've got the percentages there, annual growth rate percentages, um, on the the left hand chart, and obviously percentage can hide the quantum though. Has there been? Anywhere near the amount of houses change hands this year as there would have been in the past, or is it sort of is it we no, getting uh, uh, rises uh, off a low base? No, no, well, yeah, certainly, certainly supply hasn't has been constricted, and that's part of the thing. The um the, the amount of actual turnover, um, is down, and there's also a lot less homes for sale. So it's it's yeah. it's, it's a much thinner market than it was say even a year ago when obviously the housing market was booming pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, that that's excluding Perth. Perth's actually having a massive, you know, increase in in volumes. But yeah, aggregate wise, it's down. And, and Perth, mm. Perth, those had been falling for five years, as you said. So six, a little bit six years, yeah, twenty twenty two percent over six years. Yeah, so a little bit. Of that's the reverse so, at the end of it. So just that. So obviously, it's, if if you know the recent um, chunk of the chart, there's on thin data. Um, Kind of feels like there's, you know, is it is it safe to be able to say that, you know, with, on a low volume that that's, you know, this is the way it's going to go forward, or do you think it's maybe it's is it no potential of it just sort of wallpaper wallpapering over some cracks? Oh no, look, look, I'm not. Um, this is this whole report's about property prices, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, it's not about whether the housing market's sustainable or yeah. you know whether it's good or whatever. Um, and I'm only looking at 2021 here, so. Sure. Um, so yeah, obviously it'd be good. It'd be actually good to do this podcast in twelve months' time and then see how our views have changed because they probably, you know, there'll be will be be a year down the track, year of more debt, year of, you know, values being higher, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right now just looking at prices and it's just it's just all, all, all the momentum bar immigration is pretty much pointing the one way at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that and that. Yep. And that takes me to the next slide. I'll just um, segue into that, and then we can talk sure. about the other stuff. Um, basically, so I've got a whole bunch of predictions, or well, you know, forecasts in the report, uh, taken with a grain of salt, with like with all forecasts. But basically, I'm predicting that the smaller markets uh, in this particular order, Perth, Brisbane, and Adelaide, only looked at the top five, um, will experience the strongest growth, uh, primarily because these markets were already relatively affordable. Um, there's a whole bunch of charts in there where I do the relative valuations of each market against the other capital cities. And uh, Perth, Perth's trading at its most affordable level uh, versus the other capitals in in 50 years. Uh, Brisbane, Adelaide are not quite at the most affordable, but close to and well above average in terms of relative affordability. So this is just looking at compared to the other markets in Australia. Um, and, and obviously, they, these markets are way less reliant on on mass immigration, and uh, than Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, Sydney and Melbourne also expected to rise in value just on the back of uh, cheap credit, low mortgage rates, recovering economy, lifts all boats. Uh, Sydney expecting to be a fair bit stronger than Melbourne, uh, but weaker than the other three. Um, both these markets are riddled with oversupply in the at least in the apartment space, and obviously they're already very expensive to begin with. Uh, their 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 relative affordability to the other markets is 
not at, at the highest level ever, but pretty close to. Melbourne's more unaffordable than Sydney uh, based on relative valuations. Um, so I'm expecting, you know, basically if you have to do the peak in order, it'd be Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne. Um, all of them are rise, but Perth the most and Melbourne the least. Mm. Um, and I've got okay. a whole bunch of, uh, you know, percentage ranges, which to be honest with you, it's, you know, it's not, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not based on anything, but just reading these, yeah, you know, reading reading all, all these charts and yep. and, I, and I present a whole bunch of other data in there as well and a bit of gut feel and whatever. So take it with cool. a grain of salt. Um, Fair enough. But, but if you want to, uh, like, like like most of these reports, it's more the discussion. Everything that's, that, that's the most interesting about it. Um, mm. And no doubt it'll end up being wrong anyway, because just about all anyone's forecasts usually do do tend to be, you know, part right, part wrong, whatever. But uh, you yeah, have a read and and see what you think. And uh, hit me up in the comments. Sure, mate. I've got a question here actually from Daniel. Perth's rental market seems to be incredibly tight. Will this impact on investor-heavy property prices such as inner-city units? If so, when? <laughs> uh, yeah, per- Perth's rental market's really tight. So yep. So basically, Perth had, uh, as mentioned before, so its prices fell 22% over six years. Its rents actually fell 22% over six years. Exactly the same. And um, they, they basically had a massive... Uh, dump in population, but they also had a massive dump in supply. Now population growth's been picking up for the last year or so and the supply hasn't picked up yet. And it's really tightening quick. Uh, I think its rental vacancy rate was at about 0.9% and that's after it peaked at over five um, or five or six percent, you know, a couple of years back. So it's really tightened up. And um, the since 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 COVID hit, um, its rents have gone through the roof, I think five or six percent even in, in the seven or eight months since uh, since COVID hit. And, and, and its unit market's also going up. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty much across the board there, probably still better for houses. They, they, mm. they're, they're more desirable. And and the other thing about Perth um, is obviously we've got, you know, we've, we've got an iron ore boom going on at the moment. So that's also uh, juicing the market. So yeah, Perth's, um, Perth's rigged to blow. Yeah, I think there was an issue there for a while where people uh, who were flying fly out couldn't actually fly out of WA, so they had to had to stay in in state for the next swing, <laughs> which uh, probably put a bit of short term upward pressure on on demand. Um, we've got another question here as well: uh, How much of the movement into Brisbane is due to people leaving Sydney and Melbourne so they can clear debt? Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, John, that's that's a, that's a good question. I must admit, mate. Um... Three months ago, we were in lockdown. I was <laughs> I was dying to get to dying to move to Brisbane, uh, so we'll keep moving to the Gold Coast. And I've been pestering my wife for about five years uh, to move up there. But um, yeah, look, I, I think there's going to be quite a big exodus, uh, especially after the crappy year Melbourne's been through. Um, I'm talking more Melbourne. Obviously, Sydney might be the same, but probably not as bad. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we have a repeat of the early '90s, where a lot of Southerners went up north to to Queensland because it, it is so cheap up there. The property there is ridiculous. You can get a a detached house up there for about seven hundred thousand, which you'd pay you know one point two million plus in Melbourne and way more in Sydney. And it's mm. obviously all this work from home, all this COVID stuff, etc. And you know people are looking for lifestyle properties. And I think I think uh, I think I think Southeast Queensland is going to be very enticing. Yeah, and see, this is the interesting one for me, Leith, is, um, you know, it's not, so not just there, but, you know, you, I think you spoke as well about regional areas. There's been a number of regional areas where prices have actually been quite strong. Um, and the question in for that is, you know, if you keep strict land supply and you don't let people build, then then you can keep those prices high. But but a lot of places have, well, there's, there's a hell of a lot of land in, um, in South yeah, in the in the east coast of Australia or west coast of um, uh, you know around Perth, that that's available to be developed on. Just a question of whether um, it's now planning restrictions, isn't it, as to whether? Oh yeah, and pretty much no, but nowhere in nowhere in Australia has your you know Houston style um, open land supply. So you got to you still have to go through councils, go through all that stuff. It's got to be zoned, blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, uh, certainly that'll keep prices higher than they you know maybe should be um and you, you're right there has been you know, infrastructure australia did a report yesterday which came out uh on um on 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 the shift to regional areas and they said it's gone up you know there's been a 200 percent increase or so uh or maybe it's 300 percent to regional areas 
um, mm. in the wake of COVID. So, and, and we're seeing that in um, CoreLogic's re released a report today, which I'll put up in Macro Business tomorrow, uh, on the fastest growing areas, and it's actually lifestyle areas that, that have gone up the most, uh, Sunshine Coast in particular. Uh, so yeah, there is this, there is this, you know, I think with the rise of work from home, um, more telecommuting bosses are more, you know, willing to let that happen. Um, people want lifestyle now that on a, I think there's, there's been a bit of a shift away from, you know, inner city living and, you know, li living in a sardine can to, yeah. uh, to wanting to make, move to these kind of places that are, you know, cheaper and offer bigger blocks and, you know, obviously better lifestyle. Good lifestyle. Yeah, sure. We've got another question here from Alec um, and probably just a bit of background. So obviously we had those superannuation uh, withdrawals uh, that were allowed, the early early release, um, which was tipped a lot of that was going to go into um, property. Uh, so we've got here numbers on first home buyers and could they be exhausted? Uh, and with bad rents, we wouldn't expect investors to make up the bulk of the demand. Yeah, well, uh, that, that's, that's actually really interesting because this cycle is different. Uh, actually, it's probably pretty similar to the uh, GFC cycle, um, at least initially, in, in that the, all the mortgage growth, the mortgage, the mortgage market's absolutely exploding at the moment. And except this time around, it's been driven by uh, owner occupiers, and that includes obviously first home buyers, whereas investors are still very weak, uh, which, which is different because the last several housing cycles we've had pretty much since the GFC have, have all been investor led. So um, yeah, no, no doubt uh, a lot of first home buyers have used their early access to super to you know to scrape up a deposit. I got no doubt that's happened. And uh, at the same time, the government's uh, thrown you know quite a few incentives at first home buyers as well. So uh, yeah, that 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 could very well get exhausted. Um, just don't think it'll get get exhausted in time to to impact prices next year. That that could be more a 2022 story. Um, mm, okay. the, the the other thing is. During the global financial crisis, uh, when when the Rudd government um, introduced that massive first home buyer grant, you saw mortgage demand initially was driven by first home buyers, and then as that eased, the investors took over. Um, and honestly, I, I I can't believe that investor demand is so low at the moment, because especially if you look outside of Sydney and Melbourne, and you look through these other markets, you got pretty sweet sweet rental yields on offer. Um, the gross rental yield well, relative, relative to relative to mortgage rates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, mate, it, it's it's pretty obvious. It's not hard to get a neutrally to slightly positively geared property, even in Brisbane, because mm. uh, they're offering gross yields of you know four point two percent for houses, and obviously you take out your costs, but that means there are areas there which you know offering above that, and uh, mm. you know when when you can get a potentially get a mortgage for two and a half percent. That's pretty tasty. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the if you start getting the investor raiders going to, you know, WA, uh, going to Perth, South Australia, Queensland, uh, some of the other markets just outside of Sydney and Melbourne, just because the rental markets there are still pretty strong. They're not as affected by the um, the fall in immigration and and there's juicy rents on offer, uh, rental yields on offer uh, in, in, in this era of very, very low interest rates. Um, mm. it suddenly makes all that stuff way more enticing. Yeah, and just while we're on the topic of investors, uh, another one from Alec. Uh, China would be very cognizant of our housing bubble. What if they were to punch us where it hurts by forcing selling by Chinese migrants and investors? Are there any numbers on foreign home ownership or foreign foreign investment at this time? Uh, for, foreign demand has been really quite low for several years, but that doesn't mean they don't own a, own a decent stock. Mm -hmm. of, of homes outstanding. Uh, unfortunately, there's you know there, there, there's almost zero data about this, uh, but but who knows how much they've accumulated in the last decade? And if there is somehow some way that they can force uh, a whole budget to be sold, I don't, I don't know how they do that. But um, yeah, I guess that could have a downward impact, but probably not enough to scuttle property prices in 2021. Um, well, it could, it could happen, I guess, later. But we'll wait. And yeah. See. But but I think that's it's still coming back to that whole point, isn't it? You, if if you've got a lot of debt in a market, you don't need much of a swing to to start causing problems. But at the moment, everything's pointed in the opposite direction, and everything's pointed towards um, just getting people to gear up more. If people can't pay their mortgage, that's fine. Let them extend so that so there's not you don't have the forced sellers out there that you would have had in an ordinary economic downturn. 
And it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting economic take is that, um, uh, you know, in a, in a traditional economic cycle, um, you sort of, you shake out um, some of the, some of the weaker um, and some of the people who have overgeared in, 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 in crises. And then that sort of clears out the underbrush and lets, gives you sort of room to grow again into, into the next um, growth phase. But we've, we've sort of declined to do that this time. And so there's this short-term push, but it, the, the medium-term looks looks worse for, for, um, for this type of outcome. But it's a, it's a better short-term. So a better, oh, better year, two years, but your, your five, six-year view is, is that um, lower demand, lower, lower growth, um, all these other factors that sort of tick through because of this huge debt burden that's, um, that's just being accumulated to um, yeah. sort of get over the short-term issue. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that was um, he'll, he'll, he'll no doubt correct me if I'm if I'm misquoting him, but I think that was Cam Cam Murray's point in our podcast months ago. We he basically said that you know I, I was arguing that um, household income is going to have a big hit because of all the unemployment, and he'll say no, 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 they're going to get more money than they <laughs> than they had otherwise. And he was right. Um, it, it, you know, it, it it's been a wonderful recession for for uh, if you look at the aggregate for a lot of households. I mean the the household disposable income rose and rose a lot. And at the yep. same time, company profits boomed. And this is all on the back of artificial stimulus. Um, now, obviously, that'll yeah. wash it's out. A and, it's a transfer from government to um, to consumers and particularly to businesses. That's right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, it's artificial. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, it, but it, it's, it's still it's that's going to cause problems. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. right. It'll definitely and, and cause that, problems down the track. And that's and that's still that point about um, saying that you know when you're in the, when you're in the arms of the government and central banks to, um, to 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 make this happen, that's what you have to watch now. It's not it's not as much watching economic conditions and and recoveries and all that type of stuff, because it's 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 more about what are central banks and and governments going to do in terms of the policy side. Yeah, well, it's it's no longer a market economy, is it? No, no, absolutely not. Very good. Um... I think that might be it from the questions so far, but feel free to drop in any more, anyone that's listening in, and we'll get to those. Um, do we want to jump across to the investment implications? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, so similar. I've put um, a pretty similar list up the last couple of weeks, just talking about these, uh, you know, this clash of the, um, the the positive factors and the negative factors, and that um, you know, it looks like on the, on the key negative factors, the virus in the northern hemisphere was one. You know, key thing that might have might have derailed um, some of the growth. Uh, X that most of those are sort of longer term issues, uh, and then then the key positive ones are um, uh, you know are all happening at the moment. And so uh, I think there's a uh, until we start to see these factors turn down, we're sort of and, and still we start to see governments decide that yes, we will return to capitalism and and let companies, you know, not manipulate interest rates and let companies go broke and all that type of stuff, then then you need to take into account that, that these are generally positive factors for, for asset markets and, and risk markets. Mm, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and I guess vis-a-vis the uh, property sort of side in the in the Aussie stock market, um, things like real estate investment trusts, Damien, has well, today's thoughts changed your mind anywhere there? Well, there's still terrible... Um, yeah, vacancies rates throughout, yeah, uh, throughout that commercial property market, um, and you're probably going to see you know some conversion of those, some of those into into residential at, at some stage. Um, yeah, you know, there's probably a, a, a decent chunk of supply to come from you know converting you, you, your average strip shop um, that's that's now you know there's with, with six six places all unleased in a row. Um, you're starting to convert those into houses, uh, but uh yeah so so i'm not not that keen on on the on that part of the market you know depending relative to price um there's uh some of the residential construction though might you know it certainly looks like there's some positive stuff coming through in terms of that okay yeah sure um and just finally actually just on this um uh, infrastructure has there been much thought of infrastructure in in our portfolios obviously increased demand for Houses leads often to you know people moving to areas. Particularly, we've spoken a little bit about um, you know a bit of a, a, a disembarkment from the CBD. People getting out of smaller places into larger ones. Is that sort of leading into some 
opportunities for infrastructure going forward? Uh, look, the, the big problem for infrastructure is it's it's quite interest rate sensitive. Um, mm. And so it's, it's a matter of weighing up the growth versus um, the return you can get. So, so the idea, I guess what I'm saying is if you can pick up a, a 5% yield, say on a, on, on some infrastructure assets uh, and that's relative to, to sort of long bond rates of about 1%. If, mm-hmm. if we get a bit of an inflation scare over the next 12 months and, and that's quite possible um, is that you might see that those yields actually start to rise on those assets. So, so at the moment they're sort of, you know, you can get a long bond for 1% and you can, you can pick up a, uh, you know, some infrastructure assets for, for a 5% yield um, if, if the long bond goes to 2%, or maybe that 5% yield turns into a 6% yield, which means the price has to fall to, to get it mm. there. And so um, so you'll have growth on one side picking it up, and, and but potentially that, that capital loss on the other side. So um, we're sort of trying to play that more about saying, we do think there will be a bit of a bond backup and, and a bit of an inflation scare, but we don't, we don't think it's real. We think it'll, 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 you know, there's all this stimulus will come about and people will be talking about how much inflation is going to get going. But as, as soon as... Um, they try and withdraw the stimulus. That's where the problem about having such high debt levels uh, and will will start to come home. And so, um, yeah, so that that's a that, that's a buying opportunity for uh, sort of mid to late next year, we suspect. Right. Okay. Very good. All right, gents. Well, look there. Thanks very much for that, and thanks, uh, Leith, for sharing with us your uh, the highlights of of your report. And make sure anyone listening in, if they head over to Macro Business to catch uh, the full report for uh, the Macro Business Christmas. Property report. Uh, yeah, really appreciate uh, your views, and um, and I guess yeah, the always interesting to see uh, who's a long time property realist has suddenly turned a little bit bullish as well. So good on you, Leith. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a fabulous backflip, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well, look, you've got to look at the data, and you're a very very data driven guy, mate. And uh, you're ready to make a decision. So very good. Thanks for your time. Thanks for, uh, to you, Damien, as well. Thanks, Jim. All good. And uh, we'll jump across to our viewer question of the week. So uh, we've gone through a lot of upside, but what do you think stands in the way of Australian property in 2021? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. And uh, we'll uh, drop those into the comments, of course, in the YouTube uh, channel, and we can work through those and and have a read through. Uh, Coming up next week, uh, we spoke with Deputy Chief Investment Officer of Jamison Coote Bonds, uh, Kate Samran-Way. Kate joins us this week from uh, Singapore to share her wealth of experience in one of Australia's leading bond trading houses, including how bonds have had a primary role in properly constructed portfolios, some reflection on their performance in 2020, and where she sees some real opportunity for high quality bonds in 2021. So tune in next week, Thursday, the 24th of December, 12.30pm for our chat with Kate. Thanks to all of those who have watched in live for another great episode and to all those that have asked questions as well. She had some great questions today. I hope you've taken away some great ideas. And if you haven't already, feel free to click like on the video to give us some feedback. If you'd like to see more of our content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with news from us, follow us on social media. And finally, if you know anyone that would get something out of today's episode, feel free to let them know about it, share with a friend and help our show grow. Uh, Thanks for tuning in from myself, Tim Fuller and the team. And as our last live show for the year, uh, happy Christmas and all the best for a safe and prosperous 2021. And we'll look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers.